Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash RHS. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo Incorporated and AstraZeneca. Welcome to this peer voice panel discussion on non small cell lung cancer. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Dr. Edward Guerin and Dr. Melissa Johnson. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, my name is Melissa Johnson from the Sarah Cannon Research Institute in Nashville, Tennessee, USA. Joining me today is my esteemed colleague, Edward Guerin, from the University of California, Los Angeles, California, USA. Today, we'll be discussing the needs of patients with non-small cell lung cancer without actionable driver mutations and available therapeutic solutions for these patients in the frontline and beyond. The good news is that for patients with lung cancer in general and non-small cell in particular, we're making improvements in five-year survival based on earlier detection as well as uh, discovery of more and more targeted therapies uh, for driver oncogenes, as well as immune therapies uh, that target a patient's immune system, we are improving uh, both the lifespan and the quality of life of, of our patients. With improved treatment options, uh, the, the frontline landscape has become more complex. And so for all frontline uh, lung cancer patients newly diagnosed, we need to test for biomarkers such as those shown in the pie graph uh, uh, to identify driver oncogenes as well as for PDL1 to help determine the effectiveness of immunotherapy. Let's examine those frontline options in a little bit more detail and how to select between them for our patients uh, with newly diagnosed driver negative non-small cell lung cancer. So Eddie, how do you break this down? Sure. So, um, of course, we, we evolved into an era where we're using a lot of next-generation sequencing, um, particularly in our non-squamous patients. So, we are getting the results for these driver mutations and how relevant these driver mutations are um, sort of across patients does depend quite a bit on where um, one's practice is located. There are places in Asia, for instance, where the majority of patients will have a genomic alteration that uh, that affects the frontline treatment. In the United States, as well as um, throughout Europe, uh, for instance, most patients will not have a genomic alteration that will drive their first-line therapy. So as you state, the main things that differentiate um, really are um, the histology and the PDL one expression. Um, for histology, the main difference uh, really is on the chemotherapeutic that would be used. Um, as we know, in patients with squamous cell disease, uh, we don't use pemetrexid um, and generally have, have used a taxane, whereas in non-squamous disease, pemetrexid is often used. Um, in, as far as PDL one expression, it uh, really has become, over the last several years, the uh, the the main driver of, uh, of how we choose between uh, at least monotherapy options and combination therapy options. So 
um, for patients who have PDL1 expression in at least half of uh, their cells, we know that uh, there are three approved agents uh, for monotherapy, either pembrolizumab, atezolizumab, or simiplumab. There also is an approval for pembrolizumab in patients with this middle group of patients who have 1 to 49% expression of PDL1. Cross-trial comparisons uh, would suggest that in that population, they really should receive combination therapy rather than monotherapy. However, um, we, we know that many of our patients um, will have comorbidities or poor performance status that may lead to them choosing not to undergo chemotherapy. So that is a relevant option um, for other patients. For patients who have uh, PDL1 expression of 1% or greater, there also is an approval for the combination of uh, nivolumab and ipilimumab. However, uh, many practitioners actually use that in patients who are PDL1 negative, although that is not formally where the approval for this combination is. The data looks reasonably good in that in that uh, situation. And really across the PDL1 spectrum, there is the option for the combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, um, in some cases, uh, uh, adding a PD1 inhibitor to uh, chemotherapy, and in some cases, adding a, uh, a CTLA4 inhibitor to either a PD1 inhibitor or PDL1 inhibitor, um, along with chemotherapy. These approaches um, have been very exciting. As you pointed out earlier, um, this has led in part to a significant improvement in what our clinics look like with patients living longer and a larger percentage of patients who are alive um, many years out. But unfortunately, we know that even in our best group of patients, patients who have PDL1 expression um, of at least 50%, um, although they, there are a substantial number of patients who are alive five years out, the great majority of patients will have progression of uh, of their cancer. And so, Melissa, maybe you can address what what sorts of options we have at that point. Sure, sure, Eddie. Uh, well, for all of the options that you just so nicely uh, walked through, there are uh, much fewer in the second line. Uh uh, we see that uh, many of the immune therapies were initially approved in the second line. And so while those options exist, most patients will be getting PD-1, PDL one with or without CTLA-4 in the front line. And so monotherapy, immune therapy is no longer um, a good standard or second line option. Beyond immune therapy, the guidelines uh, recommend docetaxel. Uh, with or without remucirumab in the U.S., uh, as well as other single-agent chemotherapies, gemcitabine, paclitaxel, venerelbine, for example. And, and so the truth is that for all of the frontline options, when patients develop acquired resistance to immune therapy, we need other options uh, to, to come in for the second line uh, to continue uh, the trajectory uh, that we have started in the front line. So to, to summarize uh, this first nod module, targeted therapies and immune therapies are improving long-term survival in our non-small cell lung cancer patients. 
testing for biomarkers up front, both using NGS for oncogene drivers as well as PDL1, helps us determine the best frontline option for our patients. And unfortunately, uh, despite all of this biomarker testing, the majority of patients' tumors will develop acquired resistance, necessitating new options in the second line. So thank you for that excellent summary. And um, I would like to thank you for, uh, for all the, the, the viewers for, um, for watching this. And we will now move on to uh, the next module of this uh, discussion. Thank you. Hello, I'm Edward Guerin from the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA uh, in Los Angeles, California, the USA. Joining me today is my esteemed colleague, Melissa Johnson from the Sarah Cancer Research Institute in Nashville, Tennessee, also in the United States. And in this session, we're going to continue to discuss possible future approaches in patients with non-small cell lung cancer whose tumors do not harbor an actionable uh, genomic alteration. So um, as we've already discussed, even though there are many patients who do achieve a durable response with immunotherapy-based approaches, the great majority of patients, unfortunately, do not. And um, uh, unfortunately, we assume that the resistance is going to be heterogeneous. So although there has been a great deal of drug development in this area, we generally have seen that studies that are looking at all comers um, in, in terms of trying to improve on this immunotherapy uh, approach have not necessarily uh, been particularly effective in a post-immunotherapy setting, leading to a need for better approaches. One approach that has been evaluated is a, a class of drugs that is not particularly new, um, but advances in, in things such as medicinal chemistry have really improved uh, these agents. And these are what we describe as antibody drug conjugates. The idea of an antibody uh, drug conjugates is that basically you are looking at a three-part um, a, a three molecule. So you have an antibody that uh, directs the molecule to a particular target on the surface of cancer cells. It is then attached via a linker to a payload. That payload um, into date has, has often been chemotherapy and often actually a chemotherapy that was quite toxic when given systemically. And the idea being that by leaking that chemotherapy to um, an antibody that the therapeutic index will be improved, that you will be able to de deliver significant doses of the chemotherapy to the cancer cell, but not have a extreme toxicity. And of course, this is now a validated approach in non-small cell lung cancer. We do have um, one drug that is approved. Um, trastuzumab deruxtecan is an antibody drug conjugate um, directed against HER2 that is um, utilized in the subset of patients who have HER2 mutant non-small cell lung cancer. Um, we do now, for the first time, have randomized data looking at uh, uh, one of these approaches, uh, and this is with datapotamab deruxtecan. Uh, the names here tend to be pretty long because you're having to describe both the antibody component as well as the chemotherapy component. This is often shortened to um, datodxd, it is a humanized antitrope 2 monoclonal antibody um, that is attached via cleavable linker to uh, topoisomerase 1 uh, chemotherapeutic. Um, 
after binding on the tumor cells, the uh, the molecule is internalized in the cleaver, um, is 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 lysed and leading to um, apoptosis uh, and cell death. It is, um, as I mentioned, been uh, evaluated as part of a randomized study. Um, in this randomized study, patients had advanced disease and a good performance status without prior dose attacks. So they could have had one or two prior lines of, of, uh, of therapy, and there were also patients with actual genomic alterations they needed to receive uh, therapy directed against those uh, genomic alterations. And patients were randomized to DATO-DXD um, or docetaxel. Uh, Melissa, maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about what was shown at the recent presentation at, at ESMO. Sure. The co-primary endpoint PFS uh, was reported at ESMO this year, 2023, showing a statistically significant improvement in PFS for patients who were treated with DATO-DXD versus docetaxel. With a hazard ratio of 0.75, said another way, a 25% reduction in risk of progression or death when treated with DATO DXD versus docetaxel. Now, the curveball was when we looked at this data by histology, separated patients into non squamous and squamous patients, that benefit didn't persist for both. Rather, for patients with non squamous, non small cell lung cancer, we saw um, actually a, an uh, an increased benefit for patients treated with DATO DXD versus docetaxel with a hazard ratio of 0.63 in favor of treatment with DATO DXD. But in looking at patients with squamous histology, we saw the opposite. We saw that patients did better with the control arm getting docetaxel and did worse with the DATO DXD experimental arm with a hazard ratio of 1.38 uh, in favor of the control arm docetaxel. So, um, a- as you mentioned, the there was this uh, big difference uh, by histology in progression-free survival, and on some level, the same thing was true with respect to overall survival. Um, this was an interim overall survival analysis, and in the intent-to-treat population, the hazard ratio was 0.9, indicating uh, maybe somewhat favorable trend towards survival, but not the sort of thing that we would anticipate will end up leading to a statistically significant result in the entire population. Of course, uh, similar to what was seen for progression-free survival, um, the results in overall survival for squamous disease was not particularly promising with a hazard ratio of 1.32. Melissa, maybe you can discuss the adverse events that were seen as part of this trial. We also saw an improved safety profile for those treated with DATO-DXD versus docetaxel. With fewer adverse events leading to dose reduction or dose continuation, and the median treatment duration being longer for patients treated with DATO-DXD versus docetaxel. In particular, there were three adverse events of special interest that were detailed in the presentation. Stomatitis happening in about half of patients, um, ocular events happening in about one-fifth of patients, and adjudicated drug-related interstitial lung disease, or ILD, happening in uh, approximately 8% of patients. These are uh, new side effects for us to manage. Um, More to come there. Um, But overall, a a tolerable compound compared to docetaxel. And um, there are, of course, other agents that are being developed that are antibody drug conjugates directed against uh, trope 2. 
one of, of note because it also is in phase three trials uh, versus just a taxless azotizumab govotecan. Um, in some ways, this is a similar molecule. It also is uh, has an antibody directed against trope two, uh, and it is attached via a linker to uh, topo one uh, payload. On the other hand, there are some differences that we'll address. We don't really have data that we can uh, discuss from the randomized trial because it, it, it simply has not been uh, presented yet. We don't have any data on that. But there is some data on a frontline study, um, uh, sazituzumab, govotecan, uh, plus pembrolizumab. And Melissa, maybe you're able to walk us through sort of what that can tell us about the efficacy and uh, toxicity of this drug, recognizing that this is um, a, a different setting and, and, and a combination study. Sure. It, it's a good point. Evoke 2 was a frontline trial and did uh, uh, enroll patients based on their PDL1 score to receive uh, uh, sasituzumab with pembrolizumab or sasituzumab with pembrolizumab in combination with chemo. To date, we only know the results of those patients treated with with sasituzumab plus pembrolizumab. So here are the preliminary results from Evoke 2. Remember, this is a frontline patient population. Response rate 69% treated with sasituzumab and pembrolizumab with high levels of PDL1 in their tumors, and patients with lower levels, i.e., less than 50%, being treated with sasituzumab and pembro with a response rate of 44%. So as we start to dissect that, we expect patients with PDL1 high tumors to have around a 30 to 40% response rate with Pembro alone. And so this looks additive. It looks as though we're adding about 25 to 30% response rate from sasituzumab, similar to Dato DXD in the monotherapy. Interestingly, we see here that sasituzumab has a little bit of a different safety profile than that which we are coming to expect with Dato DXD, neutropenia and anemia as well as GI side effects, diarrhea, nausea, more uh, commonly uh, reported in patients receiving sasituzumab. Um, and so uh, this is curious uh, and uh, tells us that there's more to, to learn about these drugs because remember that the payload is very similar. The target is uh, trope 2 is the same. And we await uh, further results of Evoke 2 as well as the sasituzumab trial versus docetaxel. And of course, the there are other antibody drug conjugates that are in development. Uh, we don't have time to address all of these, but just to note a couple because they are currently in randomized, uh, potentially registration trials versus docetaxel as well. One is looking uh, at an antibody drug conjugate um, directed against CCAM5, another at an antibody drug conjugate directed against MET. And so this is a very active area of exploration in lung cancer, particularly among patients who have received prior therapy and are um, currently needing additional therapy after immunotherapy-based approaches. So in summary, um, there is a lot of clinical development in, in antibody drug conjugates in previously treated non-small cell lung cancer. Um, there is one approved agent already, uh, trastuzumab deruxtecan. Um, we now have uh, randomized data for datapotumab deruxtecan. 
um, showing uh, outcomes that are uh, better for progression-free survival um, than docetaxel, but look uh, more promising, particularly in the non-squamous patients, um, whereas it did not look particularly promising in the patients with squamous cell carcinoma. Um, the toxicity profiles of these agents um, differ and are somewhat new. And the, uh, the group of, uh, of targets is expanding over time. And this uh, is something that we'll have to pay attention to as a, a, a potential new area of drug development um, in non-small cell lung cancer. So I, I would like to thank Dr. Johnson um, for joining me. And I would like to thank you for uh, watching this and um, hopefully learning uh, about antibody drug conjugates. Thank you. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.